Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. In Psalm 96, we are taught to sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And God indeed is to be praised above all things. His work is unlike any other. God does things that defy our imagination and our reason. He makes the heavens and the earth. He sustains and gives life to all that live. He gives order and beauty to his creation. But more than anything, we are taught to sing a new song to the Lord. We sing a new song because he has done a new work. As creation had stumbled and fallen into sin and decay and futility, he has done a new work of recreation. And sending his son into the world, God has remade. God is remaking. God makes all things new. And this new song to the Lord begins when God becomes man. The Lord who created all flesh now has entered into our flesh. And this work is the work of our salvation. And this is what Simeon and Anna were waiting for. As they both delighted in standing in the Lord's presence, we see that we have these two people whose lives revolved around the worship of the Lord their God. We're told Simeon of Simeon that he dwelled in Jerusalem eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel, as God had revealed to him that he would not see death before meeting the Lord's Christ. And so he dwells in Jerusalem near the temple, waiting for this promise to be fulfilled as the Son of God would come into the world. He is watching and waiting for the Lord's coming. And then we have Anna, a woman who had been a widow for 84 years, who spent her days piously praying at the temple of her Lord and God. Her life after the death of her husband became this life of worship and piety, as day and night she dwelled in the temple, fasting and praying for the consolation of God's people. Here we have two examples of a faithful life that look for the gifts of God. And the question is, why? Why did these two people dedicate years of their lives, the bulk of their lives, to prayer and to worship? They could have done other things, couldn't they have? And we think about what people aspire to do with their lives today. And we think about the, the number one goal that people seem to have. Maybe it's the American dream. As it's propagated today, it, it seems to prime our children from a very young age to live lives that revolve around getting a job and making money. Is go to school, get educated, so that you, when you grow up, you can get work, pay taxes, and come home from work and watch Netflix. Or when you're old, maybe you can travel. The higher purposes of life, I think, sometimes are, are set aside 
or the earthiness of it all, as we elevate making money or gaining social status or gaining power or having political victories or, or whatever you might say. And parents will often come to me and talk to me or brag about their children after they've moved out and live on their own and they'll talk about jobs their kids get or the degree programs their kids are in. They'll tell me about how high their GPA is or that they're on the dean's list and they'll be proud. It's not bad. It's good that your kids are succeeding in the world. But I rarely hear about where they're attending church, who their pastor is, whether or not the person they're dating and thinking about being engaged to is a Christian. You see, we live in an age that devalues the things that have ultimate importance and, and focuses on the things that are of minor importance. We tell our high schoolers that the most important thing in life is getting set on the right career path, being admitted into the right school, or making as much money as you can so that you can buy the stuff that you want. But the weightier matters of life and salvation, they're often overlooked. They're set aside so there's more time, less planned for, less work to do. This is not what Simeon and Anna did. Their lives are pious examples for us of those who set everything aside so that they can watch for and welcome the arrival of their Savior. As their lives revolve around the gifts of their Lord who saves them and their eyes are open to the salvation of the world. Now, I'm not saying that we should all abandon the world and enter into monasteries or something. Uh, that there's work to be done in the world. There's accomplishments to be made. People have to earn a living. People have to provide for themselves. And we're not meant to be secluded from the world. But what I am saying is that our lives often have an improper orbit. You think about the Earth. It orbits the sun. And this is very good for the Earth, and it's very good for us. If the earth starts to revolve around something else, not so good for us, right? That becomes a problem. Because the sun is what gives us life. The sun is what warms our earth. It's the source of everything that we have in this world. And we, as God's children, we're made to revolve around Christ. His life, his work, his salvation, his gifts for us. And as we travel through the orbit... There is living and working, there's marriage and family, there's society, there's politics, there's everything else that we can imagine, but if that orbit is lost, there's no life for us. Sure, there'll be work, there'll be money, there'll be other stuff, but not true life. As it says in John 1, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so the highest and the highlight of every Christian's week should be the thing that Simeon and Anna were waiting for. The highlight of every Christian's week should be the reception of the gifts of God's forgiveness, life, and salvation. As we as Christians live in this life and in this world, our focus should be on coming to church, receiving the absolution, hearing the word of God preached for us, eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus. These are the gifts of the Messiah brought to life for us today. These means of grace 
are our proper orbit. As we live in this orbit throughout the week by reading the Bible, reciting the catechism, singing hymns, praying, remembering the gifts that Christ has given us. And they all maintain this proper focus that is centered upon the Word of God that proclaims salvation for sinners like you and me. Simeon and Anna had the word that promised that the Messiah would come, and their lives revolved around this promise for God. Here we have God lift them up as perfect examples of piety and faith. Anna was a widow, and Simeon was likely an older man. They both certainly ate and drank, bought and sold, sought some way to have an income and live in this world. Anna was married for seven years before she became a widow. Yet their focus throughout all of this was always upon the coming Christ. This is the focus. This is the thing that every Christian should be looking to. To live a pious life does not mean that you you never get a job or go on vacation or eat a nice meal. These things are part of life. You need them. But it does mean that everything that we have and do is at the service of something more wonderful, more valuable, more precious, more God-given, as a greater gift. It's always focused on Jesus. Simeon and Anna looked for the gift of a Savior. And everything they did was placed in service to that wonderful promise. As God spoke through the Scriptures... They believed and lived worshipful lives that sought the fulfillment of those scriptures. And so God spoke in Genesis 3.15 where he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So they, they looked for a child born of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. God told Abraham in Genesis 22, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so, they looked for a child of Abraham who would bless all the earth. God promised King David in 2 Samuel 7, When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be a father to him and he shall be my son And I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will never depart from him. And so they looked for a son of David who would bear the stripes of sinners. And God told Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And so they looked for a child born of a virgin. They heard the word of God, they received it in faith, and they anxiously awaited for God to fulfill his promises. And they looked for him, both because God promised him, but they looked for him also because he would be the consolation of Israel. He would be the savior of God's people. They looked for him because they needed him. They needed a savior, and so do we. That is the problem that Christ comes into the world to fix. As we read in our epistle lesson this morning, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
You see, Simeon and Anna, like you and I, are born and live under the law. And that means that they knew all that the law demanded of them, and in this they knew their sin. They knew of it, and they knew that they would die because of it, and their hope was in the promise of a Savior who would redeem them from the crushing weight of God's law. The beauty in our gospel lesson this morning is not solely in the waiting that Simeon and Anna do. It is in the end of their waiting, as Simeon and Anna are not disappointed. The Christ comes. And as they were crushed under the law that condemned them to death, he comes to fulfill it. We look at the reason why Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple of the Lord 40 days after his birth. His parents brought him because the law of God demanded it. Mary had to be purified, and Jesus, as the firstborn, had to be redeemed. And according to the law of Moses, it says, Consecrate to me the firstborn, for whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man or of beast, belongs to me. The law was to be a reminder of the Passover, where the Egyptian firstborn were killed, but the firstborn of Israel, who were spared by the blood of the Lamb that marked their doorpost, lived. And so every firstborn child was brought to the Lord and dedicated before him with a sacrifice. And so here we have the firstborn son of Mary brought to the temple just as the law had demanded. And so little Jesus, 40 days old, does exactly what he sent by his father to do. He bears and fulfills the law of God. And this is something we don't do. We think simply of the commandments, not the ceremonial law or the, or the civil law of the Israelites, but the simple commandments of God. Do we love the Lord our God as the only God? Do we fear, love, and trust in God above all things? Do we truly remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, observing all of the gatherings of God's people, not forsaking the fellowship of the saints, but coming to hear God's word as often as we can? Do we call upon God's name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks, and make proper use of the name of the Lord who has been given to us? Not to mention our failures to love our neighbor. As we might keep the law outwardly, but within our hearts we covet are we lust? We think of all of these things. We think about how the words of our mouth fail to uplift our neighbor and his reputation, or fail to demonstrate love when it's needed. And that is why Jesus is born under the law. He should stand above it. He's the one who gave it to Moses in the first place. He's the one who spoke from Sinai. Yet he is born under it so that he could do what we fail to do with it. Because as we think about the weight of God's law, it crushes us. It heaps sin upon sin upon sin upon our backs. And we will not be able to bear it on the last day left to ourselves. St. Paul says, now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign 
through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus comes into this creation to fulfill the law and suffer the law's condemnation for us. He takes the crushing weight of the law upon himself and he bears it up for us. The infant body of our Lord Jesus does the work that even our strongest men fail to do. It'll bear the weight of the law to its destruction upon the cross. As the body of Jesus is born so that it can be torn apart for the sins of the world. And this is the consolation of Israel. This is the salvation of Simeon and Anna as God's grace is shown in the infant body of Christ. And as Simeon sees that baby enter into the courtyards of the temple, he cannot hold back his joy. God is doing his new work. God has begun the task of our salvation. And so he takes up the baby in his arms and he praises God. He sings a song we sing every Sunday, the Nunc Dimitti. Lord, let your servant depart. Lord, now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. It's like he's saying, look, here he is. This is the Savior. This is the one who will fulfill the law and take away our sins. I can die happy and content with a clean conscience before God because he has sent this child to me. He has begun his work of salvation for poor sinners, and so my conscience has been set free. Not just mine, but that of every sinner who beholds this precious child born of Mary. The waiting is ended. He saw his Lord, and he is glad. And pious Anna, upon seeing and hearing this, rejoiced as well, sharing this great news with everyone she saw. You know, perhaps some entered the temple that day, and they only saw a baby. When Simeon called this child his savior, many probably thought he's just some kooky old man picking up random babies and singing. Could be. Many probably dismissed Anna's news as well as the words of a silly old woman. Old wives often are dismissed. Certainly all of you, all who saw, you saw in the temple, all the people who were seen in the temple that day, looked at the humble baby. You know, we often see pictures and paintings of Simeon holding up baby Jesus and he's glowing with a holy aura and he looks beautiful and innocent and precious. He's not carried there, though, by princes and kings. He doesn't glow with a holy light. The high priest did not bow before him that day. He didn't ride into Jerusalem in a chariot heralded by trumpet blasts. He was carried in the arms of humble Mary and guarded by a carpenter from Nazareth. There was no thing remarkable about this baby to the naked eye. But to the eye of faith, he was the Christ who would save the world. Perhaps we can relate to this. What does the naked eye see when we gather here every Sunday? They see a guy wearing funny clothes, saying a bunch of stuff in front of a big room that's filled with some people. 
They see tap water being poured over people's foreheads. They, they hear words from a really old book, and they see a stale wafer and some cheap wine being passed out to people. But what makes these gifts significant isn't what they see. It's the promise of the God behind them and the faith that receives them. Because we know that when the pastor speaks, it's not his words, but it's God's words. Not his forgiveness, but God's forgiveness. We know that when a person is baptized, they're receiving a new birth of water and the Spirit that blesses them with the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, newness of life, faith. When we eat and drink the bread and wine, we're receiving the very locally present body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And why do we know this? Well, God promised. We simply have faith in what he's promised. You see, the naked eye, the eye of the flesh, and the eye of faith, they see different things. Simeon and Anna had faith in what God had revealed to them, and true faith receives what God gives. Faith is not a subjective thing. I cannot decide for God what he's going to give to me. I cannot say, I believe that God's going to make me wealthy and handsome and expect God to give it to me. I can't say, I pray and I believe that God's going to make my hair grow back. That's not going to happen. God has not promised this to me. But God has promised me his son. And through him, he has promised me the forgiveness of sins. He's promised me the bodily presence in the sacrament and a newness of life in holy baptism. And faith, trust in these promises. Faith receives these promises. Faith delights in what God gives to us. When God does give these things, faith rejoices. So often our expectations for God and the church are, are clouded by our sinful flesh and the world around us. So people come to church and say, oh, I'm bored. Or people come to church and say, oh, I don't feel like I'm being fed. I want more out of the service. And so they want more authentic worship experiences. And they start looking to other forms of worship that suit their desires for entertainment or personal validation. And they begin to turn up their nose to the gift that God gives. And the sacrament of the altar, the pure preaching of his word, the washing of regeneration, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. They seek comfort apart from the real bodily presence of Jesus given to them to eat and drink for the forgiveness of their sins. This is the opposite of what Simeon and Anna do. As they see the humble child in the temple, they do not turn up their nose to this little baby. But they faithfully rejoice in knowing that their Savior has come. And this is what we are called to do as well. It is no accident that we sing Simeon's song every Sunday after eating and drinking the Lord's Supper. His faith is the same as our faith. His hope is the same as our hope. His joy is the same as our joy. As Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, Simeon sings, I can die at peace, I've seen the Lord. And so do we. As we sing a new song unto the Lord, we bless the name of our Savior and tell the world of the salvation that he has won for us. Just as Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms, we hold the glorified body of Christ as we eat and drink the Lord's Supper. 
Not only this, but we stand as members of the body of Christ so that as we gather as Christians, we are the body of Christ. And in this body, we have the word, we have the preaching, we have absolution, we have the consolation of the brethren, we have the encouragement of the saints and the foretaste of the feast to come right here as Christ dwells in our midst. What more could we ever ask for from God? Every time the faithful gather, Jesus is present with us. Simeon and Anna's joy is our joy. Because we behold our Savior by faith in God's word in the same way that they beheld their Savior by faith in God's word. Faith looks and sees Jesus where he has promised to be. Simeon and Anna saw Christ and Mary's infant son. They beheld the infant child and believed that this was their Lord who would deliver them from their sins. And we look to the life of the church. We look to the means of grace. We look to the preaching of the word. We look to the distribution and administration of God's sacraments. We look to the absolution proclaimed to us as God's holy people. And you know what we see there? We see Christ. We see the same things given for us and to us for our life and our salvation. Dear Christians, receive this gift with joy. When you sing the Nuke Dimitri today, after receiving the body and blood of Jesus, sing it with the faith and joy of Simeon. Because you have seen your salvation. You have beheld the glory of Israel, though it's not in the glory of heaven. It comes to you in humility for the forgiveness of your sins. You have been given the light that shines upon the nations, and your God has come down from heaven to help you through the forgiveness of your sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, bless your church with faith so that we never grow tired of receiving the gifts that you have promised. And fill our days with the joyful reception of Jesus and all of his gifts that he bestows upon us so that we rejoice with Simeon and Anna in seeing our Savior come to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. Go now in Christ's peace.